Chapter 17, The Ignition Interlock Probably the biggest pain in the proverbial ass throughout probation was the ignition interlock. A couple of days after I left Officer Tobias, I called the three interlock companies that were on the list he had given me. I had also done some research prior to my sentencing. Naturally, each company told you why they were the best. Several factors went into my decision for the company I eventually chose. Money, location, research, and the overall feeling from the representative I spoke to over the phone. I chose the Interceptor Ignition Interlock. I had 20 days from my sentencing to get the thing installed, get a letter from Officer Tobias, go to the DMV to get my new restricted license. The restriction being that I could only drive a car that had the device. So I made my appointment for Thursday, March 22nd, on the 20th day. One of the reasons I chose the Interceptor was the company's location. It was way out on Long Island in Shirley, and I didn't want to be near anyone, and Shirley is about as far out as you can get. My appointment was for 9 o'clock in the morning. They were very nice. The installation fee was almost 200 bucks. I signed the contract, gave them a credit card so they could bill me a monthly fee of 100 bucks, and drove around the building to the garage where a kid named Brian was waiting for me. I say a kid, he looked like a kid, but was actually in his early 30s. Very matter-of-fact guy. It took him about 45 minutes to install the thing. When he was done, he called me over for a demonstration. Put the key in the ignition and turn it to accessories. Do not try to start the car. Do not try to start the son of a bitch. If you do, you got to be reset, which takes four days and costs another 25 bucks each time. Please wait, a moderate female voice calls out from the speaker that was installed on the dashboard. About three seconds later, the voice commands, please provide a sample. You then have to take this little black rectangular box and blow into the tubular mouthpiece on the top of it. You blow for about three to four seconds, and then it cuts off. Then you wait. You may start the vehicle. Thank you. You've got a minute to start the vehicle, or it resets, and you've got to go through the thing again. If you don't blow hard enough, invalid sample. Please try again. Holy shit. Brian walks me through this a couple of times. He also explains and points out that there's a freaking camera that he's installed right in the middle of the dashboard so the people on probation know it's you. Can't fool these bastards. All right, it is what it is, but here's the real kicker. While you're driving, at any fucking moment, you might hear, please wait, please provide a sample, and you've got to go through this process. I leave the garage, find my way to the LAE, and as I'm driving to the Mineola to see Officer Tobias to wait for this thing to go off, I keep the radio off. I have to admit I'm fucking nervous. The way Brian explained it to me, if you give an invalid sample, you have to blow again. If you give another invalid sample, you have to one more shot. After that, or if God forbid you've been drinking, all hell breaks loose. Whistles, sirens, a voice that tells you to get off the fucking road and shut down the car, and the cops are called. Holy shit. Boy, was I fucking nervous. After about 15 minutes, I hear the voice, please wait. Please provide a sample. I blew in the box until I heard the click and waited. Rolling retest pass. Thank you. You're welcome, you bastard. I'm nervous again because I don't know when this thing's going to go off again. 
I get to Mineola and about five minutes from the probation center as I'm daydreaming, the thing goes off. Semi-startled, I went through the process. Rolling retest passed. Thank you. Just as I approached the parking lot, I parked the car, walked across the street through security, saw Officer Tobias and gave him the certificate Brian had given me and got the letter I needed to take to the DMV. I went back to the car, went through the process, started the car, had one rolling retest, and got to the DMV in Bethpage about 3 o'clock. I stood in line for 20 minutes, got my license, and was out of there. That night, I had an oasis meeting of people. I was starving. So I went to the local pizza Italian restaurant, had an early bird special with Coca-Cola. After a while, I got used to the interlock. The initial start wasn't too bad. The pain in the ass was the rolling retest. I felt it was dangerous, especially at night and in traffic. Obviously, I never had a failure. However, a couple of times, maybe two or three, I had to retest because I hadn't blown hard enough. Hard enough. By law, every two months, I have to go back to the interceptor shop and get what they called a recalibration. One afternoon, after playing at sunrise, I got in the car went through the normal routine and heard, you may not start the vehicle. I didn't know what to do, so I tried again, and nothing happened. I had Brian's cell phone number in my glove compartment and immediately called him and told him what happened. It was a hot day in May, and without thinking, I had parked the car in the sun. Apparently, the heat had an effect. Brian told me I'd have to wait about five minutes for the device to reset. I did. The car started. Brian informed me that I had four days to bring the car back to the shop for a recess. I made an appointment, and while I was waiting there, a guy drove up and said hello to me. He got out of his car and introduced himself. John Rocco, he extended his hand. I introduced myself, and we we began to bullshit. It turns out he was the owner of the company. Very nice man. He asked me what I did, and when he found out I was in the insurance business, he began picking my brain. He was looking for a company to give him an exclusive agency for anyone who had a DWI and had the interceptor installed in their vehicle. I thought about it and decided that there could be a nice commission attached to it, so I shopped it to several companies. This went on for a few months, and every time I'd go for a recalibration, we'd chat. No insurance companies were interested, but John and I developed a relationship. He was also looking for investors, and I got the feeling he was having some financial problems. My instincts were correct. He eventually lost his contract with the New York State. People like me, who already had the interceptor, were grandfathered in and were able to keep it for a while. In my 14th month of probation, I had to have it replaced. The state of New York had revoked his contract entirely. I had a feeling there was some political motive involved. I was right. In February 2014, a guy named Gary Milius, the owner of the Ohica Castle, an exclusive catering facility on the north shore of Long Island, was shot. Milius was an investor in the Interceptor, a political fundraiser, and from what I gathered through news accounts, had gained control of the company. For several weeks after the shooting, the Long Island paper Newsday printed detailed investigative reports including information about the relationship between Rocco and Milius.